Perfect. So it's uh, setting up for your webinar to go live on Facebook. And sometimes people hear this portion of it where we're saying that it's almost getting to live because we get this, this delayed. Uh, okay. Yeah, I guess we're live. Hey, Andrew. I think we are live. Andrew, happy Friday, my friend. Happy Friday. We, we have a really exciting episode today. We've got some superstar guests uh, joining us. So I'm we pretty got, excited. We got yeah, two guests. Rich, yeah, two, two guests today. All right, I'll introduce Rich and you introduce, introduce Rhonda, okay? So I'll Rich, do that. Okay, so Rich Priest is Senior Vice President, I believe is his business card title of uh, QuickBooks for the US. And one of the things that he's sort of in charge for or he's championing is the new QuickBooks Live product, which is a bookkeeping service. And we'll, maybe we'll, we'll try to understand exactly what that means that uh, Intuit QuickBooks is offering, or they're starting to test it to see if it's something that they, they can offer. So Rich, how are you doing, my friend? I'm doing great, thanks, Hector. I appreciate you and Andrew having me on. I know it's 11.30 East Coast time, so it's, it's late there for you guys. Well, we do it on purpose. Like we wanted, we, this is the time that we drink, so we talk about uh, accounting and the industry. Oh, there we so um, so well, happy, happy Friday to you guys. Happy Friday, guys. So Rich, let's start with a big question, okay? So a um, couple of big announcements that QuickBooks Intuit has made in the last couple of months. You introduced a new skew into the QuickBooks online world. That's essentially almost three times the price as the old most expensive SKU. Uh, you have uh, structured the subscription. So if a company has a certain volume, they're gonna have to be in that biggest SKU. And also you, have, you are actively testing off directly offering bookkeeping services or some version of bookkeeping services, because we all know that the word bookkeeping is very subjective and it has all sorts of different meanings, but you are going to be offering or testing the process of offering some sort of bookkeeping services to yeah. the public. Yeah. And you are a $5 billion company. You represent a $5 billion company, but you're a software company and you are essentially a $5 billion startup into the bookkeeping world. So we would love to know and understand what have you learned in the process and can you explain why is a software company offering services of this magnitude? Yeah, absolutely, Hector. And, you know, let me try and give you the, the high level and feel free to interrupt me and, and ask any questions as we go. But, you know, the bottom line, Hector, is, you know, as you know, one of the backbones to our success has been connecting small businesses with accounting professionals. And we've paid that off for years by basically having our um, find a pro advisor platform. Uh, we sometimes call it our matchmaking platform, where we encourage every small business to connect with an accounting professional. So we, we've always done that. That's been the history. Now, what we've realized is 40% don't connect with an accounting professional. So 60% do, which is wonderful. 40% don't. And so as we've learned more and more about why they don't, what they basically have told us for years, actually, is I'm not ready to work with an accounting professional. And we've never really done anything with that answer or we've never followed up with that 40 percent of, of QuickBooks customers that don't have an accountant. And, and we started to do that about a year ago. And, and we said, well, what does that mean? You're not ready. You don't have any questions. And they said, no, absolutely. As a new small business, I have questions, but I don't even really know what I would ask an accountant. I'm just not ready for that. Um, but if QuickBooks can help me, that would be wonderful. And so the very simple idea that we quickly came to 
was what if for those 40% that aren't ready for an accounting professional, we built a platform, we invited bookkeepers, uh, pro advisors to be on that platform. Again, not into it employees, but bookkeepers and accounting professionals. Um, we paid them for their time. And they basically were on that platform helping those small businesses who were looking for basic bookkeeping and basic setup of QuickBooks. That's the idea. That's what we've started to test. Um, and then, you know, the last thing I'll say, and then I'll hand it back to you, Hector, is when we first spoke about this a few months ago, there was a lot of anxiety. And I don't think we did a very good job of getting in front of it and explaining it, because I think what it looked like was we were going to start competing with accounting professionals. And, and, you know, Hector, you and I have known each other for a long time, Andrew, you know, us as well. You know, I'll look anybody in the eye and say, no intent here is to compete with accounting professionals. The intent is to help small businesses connect with accounting professionals. And it's another way of doing that through bookkeeping with folks who aren't ready for sort of full accounting help and services. And in I, fact, I think you guys are going to even allow and enable bookkeepers to provide their services. This will be provided effectively through via pro advisors that are interested in registering for that. Is that correct? Yeah, that's exactly right, Andrew. I mean, you know, again, it's a very simple idea at its core, which is, you know, we have the good fortune of acquiring, you know, literally millions of small businesses a year to the QuickBooks franchise. Um, now, we're not trying to build a, a, a company with accounting professionals. We're simply trying to connect them. And so, again, it is a platform where for those bookkeepers who wish to participate and they don't have to, it is completely flexible. And so, so somebody will be able to work as little or as much as they would like to. We send those people a laptop. We send them all the equipment. We train them uh, with minimal training because obviously they're already bookkeepers. So it's just training on the tools. And then essentially... <laughs> And participate on that platform helping small businesses within the quickbooks framework and again as it, it, we've i've had i've had feedback from you know single parents i've had feedback from people with disabilities who have told me that they're restricted to their home you know and they've literally said to me this i've been waiting for this for years you know this gives me the flexibility to use my craft to help small businesses but it doesn't mean that I incur the marketing costs. It doesn't mean I have to find my own clients. It doesn't mean I have to get in the car and drive somewhere every day. And so, yeah, you're absolutely right, Andrew. It is basically an on-demand platform with completely flexible hours for professionals who wish to participate. So let me summarize that in two words or three words, the Uber of accounting. Well, and you know, it, it, we try to stay away from the analogy for obvious <laughs> reasons, um, but, but obviously there are some similarities there. You know, obviously, it, it, it is supposed to be incredibly easy. It is supposed to be something where for the accounting professional, they can be at home, they can be in their office, they can do this, you know, in their in their pajamas at 7am on a Saturday morning, or in a suit at, at noon on a Wednesday. Um, and again, we provide everything they need. You know, the funny thing is, Andrew, um, why we're so confident about this is we've been doing it for two years down in TurboTax. Uh, we introduced something called TurboTax Live. And honestly, we didn't know how successful it was going to be in that first couple of years. And it's been enormous. And, and basically what that looks like is people use TurboTax. I mean, as you guys know, 35 million plus people every year use TurboTax. They log into TurboTax. The problem is they have a crisis of confidence at some point and they get stuck. And so at that moment, their choice is to bail and go and pay significantly more to a tax professional or to basically continue and not have confidence they've done their taxes correctly. And so that's a platform, we've done the same thing. We reached out to pro advisors, we've invited them onto a platform, they help people basically finish their tax return from inside TurboTax. We've got thousands of them, 
90% came back the second year. This is the tax professionals, the pro advisors. Um, and basically, you know, it's working wonderfully well for them and the tax uh, folks. So we're, we're looking to do something very similar in QuickBooks. So Rich, uh, let me do some follow-up questions on that. Yeah, so you, sure. you laid out, what you have laid out is, is the vision uh, where this, is, this thing is gonna be, assuming that the test send you in that direction, right? Because this is your current intent, but we are, you know, we are in a dynamic world with Silicon Valley and disruptors are throwing things out there. Um, nothing set in stone, right? I mean, this is your intent. However, the test is supposed to give you the answers in which direction you're going to take, correct? That, that is correct. However, what I would say, Hector, is, you know, the testing we've done already leads us to the belief that we will be launching this. So I wouldn't want to mislead anybody. There's a lot of testing that's going on in order to launch it properly. But, but you know, with high confidence, I can say we will be launching this in the coming months. Okay. So separating where this is going to be to where there's, if this is going to, where this is now. Okay. Yep. So yep. Be, because now it's what causes most people anxiety. Most people are sort of either worried about now or the really long term, the midterm, which is what you're describing. Uh, most people kind of skip it. And I really love the fact that you, are bringing that to us so we can picture it because it was difficult to visualize. But in the now, in the now, accounting professionals um, may have customers that stumble upon the service, right? Yeah. Whether they logged into the website or they got an email, which by mistake got to them because if they had an accountant, hopefully you had systems in place to avoid that. But a customer may get an offering for uh, bookkeeping through the $5 billion business yeah. And they may say, hmm, this might be better than my local accountant. And again, better, that's a subjective term, but this might be cheaper than my local accountant. Or this might be something where no longer my accountant blames QuickBooks and QuickBooks blames my accountant. I am now sending it all to one place and it's quote unquote less of a headache. Yeah. So the reality is that for some accounting professionals, they, they do get a little bit nervous yeah. when, when they see their clients getting an offer about a bookkeeping service that may undercut them price-wise or may give the impression that they can undercut them technology-wise because customers will always think that the Intuit accountant or Intuit bookkeeping or the Intuit employee or the one linked to QuickBooks will know more than my current pro advisor that has been serving me for years. Yeah. So is, is there, like, have you, have you came up with uh, the thought process about how to answer that? You know, it's, it's, it's one of the most challenging questions, Hector. So I'm glad you've raised it. And, and, you know, let me try and unpack it. But what you're going to hear from me is there isn't a perfect answer, which is partly why we're doing the testing. So, you know, again, it's interesting. Actually, let me just start with you use the word disruptive. It's really interesting. As a team, we talked about, are we disrupting the industry? And we all very quickly came to the same conclusion. That is not what we're trying to do here. What we're trying to do is actually utilize technology to essentially offer a small business more convenient services while partnering with the same accounting professionals we've partnered with for years. So again, there is no new player in this. It's, it's accounting professionals. We, we, we are essentially connecting accountants and small businesses in the same way we have. Now that said, to your point, the, the big challenge in this is many of them are already connected. You know, about half, as I said, 60% in our ecosystem are already connected. So what we don't want to do is, is, is offer that person, if it's, <coughs> if it's less expensive. 
And so that's why, you know, we've already built algorithms which suppress any small business from seeing an offer that is already connected to an accounting professional. Now, the problem is, you know, with more than three and a half million customers, we're probably not going to be 100% accurate 100% of the time. Now, I would fully expect us to be, you know, very, very accurate, you know, all of the time, but, but very, very accurate might be three nines, which means that, you know, there are going to be scenarios. And, and it's a great example. The one I mentioned earlier, you know, frankly, a scenario where somebody is connected, they disconnect and they reconnect. You know, this is why we run tests. We didn't include that in our algorithm. Now it is included in our algorithm, but, but there's probably more of those scenarios that we will learn through testing. That's going to be the challenge. And, and frankly, you know, Hector, we'll continue to work with people like yourself, people like Andrew, people like our accounting council to ask for advice because we know what we're trying to do, but we also know it's not easy. I'll give you one more quick example. And then Andrew, I know you're going to jump in because this is going to be another one. And we'll be communicating this in a couple of weeks, but, but I'm happy to share it here first, Hector, with you and Andrew. On June 3rd, another um, significant test will be us um, showcasing QuickBooks Live on the quickbooks.com website. Now, you know, obviously it stands to reason that is where new customers come to our franchise. So it makes sense that it is also where we are, we are showcasing, you know, an offering, but I fully expect that some accounting professionals will say, Hey, my existing client recently visited your website. And when they were there, they saw QuickBooks live. That's a very hard thing for us to suppress because we obviously didn't know when they were simply Googling quickbooks.com, whether or not at that moment they were connected to anybody. So, so I just use that as a future example where we're gonna have to continue to work our way through this. Now, Andrew, I'm sorry, I know you're gonna jump in. <laughs> I got a million questions. I got so yeah, many please. questions running through my head. We got questions coming in from the audience. I mean, I think the, the reality is the message is gonna be out there. People are gonna hear about it. I mean, I'm not personally overly threatened by it. In fact, we have Rhonda Lynn, who's gonna be coming in later, who's talking about, value pricing and, and the fact that I think a lot of us see ourselves as a different level of service from what this is. And yeah. I guess my big question is, because you guys have said you want to get this for those people who are just starting out, is the vision that they would grow beyond this basic service and you guys would always remain the basic service and the goal would be to escalate them up to to accountants to a more value priced um, full, full solution as the business grows and transitions through their normal um, evolution? Yes, yeah, it's, it's a great question. It's a great question, Andrew. And, and the way we see it is there's basically three different sort of um, three different buckets, so to speak. The first bucket is people that need some sort of a setup service. And, and that one's really important to us because when people first come to QuickBooks, um, they normally have one of two responses. Either people find it extremely easy or they struggle to get started. And I'm sure you guys have obviously experienced that with the clients that you talk to. And, and, and so we obviously recognize that, you know, some sort of basic setup service is going to help people who come to QuickBooks and struggle from day one, struggle less. So that's one thing. The second thing is basic bookkeeping. And that's what this service is all about. And it's for people that aren't looking for a like face-to-face -face accounting relationship. They're not looking for like advice from an accountant. They're looking for sort of transactional help on bookkeeping. That's the service we want. And then as they gravitate beyond that, we will send them back to the Find a Pro Advisor platform. And so we actually believe this is going to be a funnel for more small businesses actually realizing that they do want to pay for a sort of fully fledged accountant, even though at an earlier point in their life uh, cycle, they're not willing to and they don't think they do. And so, so the, hence the sort of bookkeeping level will feed into the fully accounting level, which is back to the platform.
they, they find that's funny because someone asked the question why why would a pro advisor participate in this pro role and i just answered quite bluntly lead gen i mean yeah. i can see this as an opportunity for accountants to get in the network to find accountants find clients who aren't quite ready yet but who will eventually get there they might even be able to help them get to that point and see the value of an accountant who's going to do more than just the bookkeeping yeah. now i do have a well, well, Andrew, i'm sorry Andrew, can i just um can i just correct one thing because what sure. you just said is is completely logical but not actually quite how it's going to work so let me just okay yeah and i know that this will generate questions as well by the way but again i'm always trying to be as be as honest and transparent as i can be so so I've had this question many times, which is from the folks who are saying, hey, I'd like to participate. This is great because I'll get new clients. And I'm very quick to try to be clear. Hey, you're not going to get new clients from this. You'll get new revenue, but not new clients. And here's why. When this 40% of folks say I'm not ready for an accounting professional, again, we've done a lot of user research. And what they've unpacked for us is, again, I'd love some help from QuickBooks and I'm willing to pay for it. I just, I just, I'm not ready for an accountant. And so, so, so the offering is going to be, let's pretend, Andrew, you want to participate. Let's use you as the example for a moment. Mm -hmm. As a pro advisor, you may say, hey, I've got a handful of spare hours a week, or I have a certain time of year where I'm a little quieter. I'd love to make some extra money, and therefore, I'm happy to participate. I'm going to help some more clients. Then, essentially, if I'm the customer and I get connected to you, we've sent you the laptop. We've sent you the blue screen that sits behind you. But, but you've made a promise to us, which is... You're not Andrew from a CPA firm. You're, hey, I'm Andrew. You know, I'm with QuickBooks Live Bookkeeping. And then essentially you're helping that person. But the next time that they log back in, they very well might not get you. They may get someone else. Now, it's important that you don't say, hey, this is great for lead gen and I'm going to help this person moving forward. Because if you do, we've immediately violated what the small business told us, which is I don't actually want to go to your find an accountant platform. I don't want an accountant right now. I just want some help with bookkeeping. So it's important right. on that side. And then on the other side, um, of course, you know, the wonderful thing is, you know, there's revenue and flexibility, but we don't want to be misleading and say this is an opportunity that every person you speak to, you can essentially kind of cross sell other services and then pull them away from that platform and service, which they had previously said that they didn't want. All right, Rich, Fair I have enough. a couple. I got a couple follow up questions on this. Yeah. I know we only got about 10 more minutes with you. Yeah. So um, under under this vision, Intuit will own the client just like they own the, they own the QuickBooks side and their own, the, let's call it the bookkeeping relationship. Yes. And, and we might as well just use this for, uh, for excess capacity. So uh, most of us will have our, our customers and we will basically turn the switch on on Tuesday when we have no other customers and hopefully one will show up. Kind of like, I know you didn't like the Uber analogy, yeah. but yeah. Uh, that's very Uber. No, I, I understand it. Yeah, no, I totally get it. Yeah. I totally understand it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so, so it, it might be something that that a lot of that, that some folks may create a career out of this. Like some folks may say, you know what? Screw it. I don't want to do any marketing. I don't want to deal with customers. I don't want anybody to call my cell phone. I want to turn it on and turn it off whenever I want to, just like those uh, ride sharing people do. Right. So, that, so yes. we don't use any any brands. But this will not be a lead generation uh, engine or anything like that. Correct. I, I do have one general concern which is right now, a lot of us get our customers from QuickBooks users that don't know what they're doing and then they need someone that knows what they're doing and they attach to us. We spend time learning the software, getting certified. A lot of us are brand ambassadors. I'm one of them, right? I, I, my entire livelihood rests on my relationship with, with Intuit. And 
Intuit may grow their client base. Is there a concern or an answer to the accountant that may think, look, as Intuit grows the client base, the pie gets smaller and smaller of the customers I can get on my own. Therefore, my independence kind of starts going away and then I may be more, have to be more dependent on the leads that Intuit sends my way in order for me to to get work. Like there are folks that are going to worry about Intuit eating our lunch, Intuit uh, taking clients that we could have otherwise taken or or it would be available and the other, other competition would have been ourselves. But now we're also kind of in competition with our software company. So have you thought about that and the repercussions yeah. of that? You know, I, well, first of all, I, I, we have. And first of all, it's, it's a very well stated question, uh, uh, Hector. Not for a second do I want to diminish it because I recognize anybody who has an ounce of that sentiment is going to worry and is going to have anxiety. And, and, and that's the last thing I want. But I recognize that's going to happen. So, so just recognize the question, first of all. Now, secondly, let me tell you what I think about, about it couple of things first of all um i honestly think this expands the pie in terms of small businesses looking for professional help i think it adds a tier which is beneath the help that many accounting professionals like look for or offer today and i think that that by joining sort of a, a an opportunity where people are getting professional help they will only then seek more professional help that, that is my honest belief now to the question of yeah, but if I'm a bookkeeper, you know, and I'm in sort of uh, Detroit, Michigan, am I now going to get less opportunity because you're essentially siphoning it off? I, I totally understand that's the question. I, I would say I don't think so for two reasons. One, statistically last year, for every 500 small businesses that were actually set up, there was one new accounting firm. And so, so there doesn't appear to be a lack of small businesses. Um, and so I believe that there are plenty of small businesses looking to help. Secondly, without quoting the exact number, Hector, because it's, it's, um, it's a proprietary number, well in excess of 10 million small businesses a year come to QuickBooks.com, well in excess. Now, think about that for a second. If, again, if I'm that same bookkeeper in Michigan, Detroit, I might have a website, but it's got nothing like that volume. And so, so essentially, if we are helping all of those businesses to understand that they might need professional help, whether they join our platform and that person in, in, in uh, Detroit wants to be the person on the other end, or frankly, whether they don't, I still think there's going to be more and more small businesses looking for help just because we're raising the profile of you really should be looking for help from a professional, whether that professional is us or somebody else. And if it is us, ironically, it's still the pro advisor. And one really extremely important point is that at some point in the past, this was before my time as a pro advisor, Intuit ran ads that said, fire your accountant, get QuickBooks. So at some point, the position was with QuickBooks, you don't need an accountant. And Intuit offering accounting services yeah. is validation that the human being assisting the software, it's a necessity. So that, that to me, I mean, that would be the server lining, regardless of whether you see this as a competition or not. But you know the fact that you are you know, you are as a huge company that has a lot of access to data that we don't have big data, you are seeing that the human being element supporting the small business owner is necessary, right? Regardless of who, who that person is, right? Yeah, it is. And, and Hector, just two quick thoughts. And I know, you know, I want to be conscious of time as well. And I want to add, Andrew the opportunity, but two thoughts. Um, one, the words that we use as we think about <coughs> 
and these words might change because I'm sharing with you the words that we talk about as a team is, is there's do it myself. There's do it with me and there's do it for me. Do it myself for people that have historically said, I don't need anybody's help. Do it for me are people that reach out to an accounting professional and want to outsource most of it. And then there's this do it with me, which is where, <clears throat> excuse me, we've not done a very good job of solving for those folks. And so the intent is by connecting bookkeepers and small businesses, we're sort of solving the do it, do it, do it with me. That's, that's point number one. Point number two is, fortunately, any ad that into a date that ran that said you don't need an accountant, fortunately, that also predates me, Hector. And I've been at the company for 17 years. And so the good news is it was a long time ago. <clears throat> and what I can say is, there is not one ounce of that inside of Intuit. And, and you know, there's a reason that one of the stats that we most frequently quote is 89% of small businesses say they're more successful when they work with an accounting professional. There's a reason why we spend, you know, tens of millions of dollars a year on things like the matchmaking platform and make it completely free to accounting professionals. And so, so I, I would hope that if that's true, and frankly, I'm not sure it's true, but if you say, Hector, I believe it's true. If that's true, you know, I'd like to believe that day is so far in the past that neither of us remember it. And everything we've done since has proved that, you know, that that, that day died a very long time ago. Yeah, I think and I, I think from my perspective, for those people who may feel intimidated, this you guys have done a really good job over all the time that I've spent with you guys about educating everyone about the fact that technology is changing this industry. Um, and if it's not, you know, um, a, a cheaper competition uh, it's going to be a software that replaces the bookkeeping. The bookkeeping is a dying business uh, as far as uh, the industry is changing and people have to evolve. And you've helped us by giving us the tools to become those valued pro advisors, which is going to be that next level tier, which you're saying, clearly that's not what this is. The goal is to get people who aren't getting the basics, giving them the basics so that they can evolve to that point of needing a, a valued pro advisor and still giving us all those tools to become that value pro advisor. Yes. Uh, but I know there was a couple of people in this in the chat who were wondering if they wanted to become part of, mm. of QuickBooks Live. One, how, what's the pay? Two, how do they get the laptop and the screen and get involved? So maybe you can share some of that information with us? Yeah, absolutely. So a couple of things. One, you know, we've been, every time I do a town hall or something, the number one question we get at the end is how do I get involved? So we've been sort of maintaining a list. And, and so, you know, while we normally send out a link to that list, for anyone who's watching this, please feel free to send me an email. It's rich, R-I-C-H underscore priest, P-R-E-E-C-E at intuit.com. And I will absolutely add you to that list. And what that means is in the next kind of two, three, four, five months, we will start advertising this and reaching out to you folks. So, so point number one. Now, what does that really look like? Well, the good news is we have two years of experience with TurboTax Live, so I can be quite specific. And, and, and I'll address the pay question at the end, if that's okay, Andrew. But in terms of yep. the process, we, you basically will get in a box, a laptop with all of the technology. You will get a headset, you will get a screen, you will get some training, then you will get access to like webinar training. And then there will be some level of a certification. And the certification as much as anything is just making sure you're comfortable with the tools, making sure that you kind of understand the service. Um, and and so, so essentially it's kind of a setup in a box, which makes it as easy as possible for you to do. Once you've kind of gone through that minimal certification and training, boom, you're live. And obviously, you know, we'll have a test call with you first to make sure everything is set up properly. So, so we've really got it dialed in from the thousands of pro advisors that are part of TurboTax Live in terms of the setting it up. In terms of the, well, what's the pay, which of course is the million dollar question. 
Um, the problem is it's an unlimited service. So the problem is until we know how much people consume the service, we actually don't really know what the business model is. And so what we've done about that is we've got nine pro advisors in Boise, where our T-Sheets location is, and they currently have a closed beta with, um, it's actually about 30 or 40 small businesses where basically they are the bookkeeping service. And the number one thing we're trying to learn is do people require two hours of help a month? Do they require four hours? Do they require six hours? Once we know that, we will know one, how to price the service and two, what the compensation looks like. But, but the last thing I'll say on that is clearly, if we don't price it right on the one hand, we won't get any small businesses. And if we don't put the compensation aggressively on the other hand, we won't have any pro advisors. So the good news is, unless both sides are happy, there's no offering. So I'm confident that we can get to a good place. Now, one follow-up question to that is, you mentioned this is going to be rolled out uh, very soon on the QuickBooks.com site. What about QuickBooks.ca? What about QuickBooks.co.uk? What about Australia? Is this going to be a global launch? Is it going to be rolling out um, one country at a time? What's the plan there? Yeah, so... so um... Well, two things. First of all, and I'm particularly passionate about this, about us being a global company and what partly what global means is rolling things out globally. Um, now, of course, it is prudent in some cases to launch something somewhere and then fast follow elsewhere. <coughs> so very specifically, what you'll see us do, Andrew, is start rolling this out in the short number of coming months in the US. Now, what we will do is start testing very, very quickly in Canada, UK and Australia. So I would say in the next three to four months, you'll see us testing. Now, we've learned our lesson that when we test in those countries, we will reach out to the accounting professionals first and we will tell them we're going to test because we didn't do that in the US. And that was a problem. And, and we apologized for it. And so, so if you're in Canada, as you are, Andrew, you'll be notified that, you know, hey, as of so and so date, we will start testing. But that date will be call it three or four months out. And then I would hope that we would stand that service up in those respective countries just three or four months after those tests. All right. Guess, do, you, do you know if it's Canada, then UK, then Australia? You know what? UK, it's, it's, Australia? It's, well, it's funny, Andrew. I know that you know all of the country leaders in each of the places as I do. And I can tell you right now, all of them are equally excited to say me first. Yeah. And so, so what I would love to do is have all of them be first. But but those conversations are currently underway. So I don't know the answer so it's now. confidential I still. Know, I will happily share that with you. So I know we had a hard stop at 30 minutes, Rich. So let me just, I'm going to make a few statements. You don't have to answer them. Yep. This is from me to you as a friend, as a, as a partner in this. Um, as an accounting professional, as an accountant, as a brand ambassador, I would like to know that Intuit is doing all that is possible for me to partner with you in this, right? Whether it's to be one of the people doing it or maybe revenue sharing if I'm the one referring business to it or essentially losing clients to it. I would love to be able to lose a client but still make some money for say, telling the client, yes, you're right, I can help you with Intuit can, here's the, you know, pass the baton and maybe get some re revenue sharing out of it. That would be awesome. Yeah. Uh, also, if I can leverage this, you know, so I can concentrate on consulting and stuff like that, that would be great too. That's as an accounting professional. But as a, as a shareholder and as a consumer, I like to tell you, this is my perspective only. Customers do not know how to differentiate the software and the quality of the service. And this is a difficult thing. Running a bookkeeping business is hard. I know you guys have the resources. I know you have the data, but I'm telling you, it's a difficult business. And in the process, as you're learning this, if you screw things up, the customers will not only have a bad taste 
for the accounting or bookkeeping side, they will have a bad taste for the overall brand. Mm -hmm. So this needs to be, you have to tiptoe around the fact that you already have a great brand QuickBooks software, which you, you make money on, right? I see your 10Ks, I'm a shareholders. You make money on this, right? So obviously this is not just a money grab because you're probably not going to make any money on this test for a couple of years mm -hmm. until you figure out how to make money with this business. Mm -hmm. A lot of us bookkeepers are still trying to figure out how to make money on this business. So I understand and I know that this, you're not doing this for the revenue because this is not going to make you any money in the short term. But if you screw this up, and again, not purposefully because you're mm -hmm. learning, because you're refining, because you're figuring things out, you said it. I don't know if it takes 10 hours. I don't know if it takes two hours. We customers don't know what bookkeeping means. Every customer has their own definition to what bookkeeping means. So if you screw this up, people are going to hate you and the software together. So we need to be able to decouple these things, or we can only go to market once you know that the quality is top notch. Okay. So that's just a statement I want to make. You don't have to answer to that. I like to speak in behalf of the community and the shareholders and, and customers by saying that. So thank Rich, you. thank you very much. If you got something else to say, you can say it. Otherwise, you're invited back anytime. No, you know, well, first of all, I won't reply because I know you weren't asking for a reply, but I appreciate the feedback and we'll continue to ask folks like you, Hector, folks like Andrew and folks like our accountant council, but, but your feedback is well taken. And then secondly, I appreciate you guys having me on. It's always great to see you both. So, you know, thank you for doing this for the community and I appreciate it. And then thirdly, last and not least, uh, I am glad I've been a warm up act for Rhonda. I know she is a rock star. And so you guys are lucky to have her on next and uh, I would be happy to come back anytime. Bye, We're going to hold you to that. Yeah, I'll be happy to. All right, guys. Have a great evening. Thanks, Rich. All right. You see ya. Okay. Before we get Rhonda in, uh, Andrew, can we chat for a little bit? Just for, just sure. for a second, Rhonda. Sorry. So we, we just have a lot to digest, a lot to digest. So first of all, Rich is such a cool guy, such an honest guy. I've known this guy for years. I know he represents the big bad wolf, the big company, but he's a great person to partner with, a great person to, to talk to. Um, you know, hey, he, he's, he's not one guy doing this. There's a big company doing it. They're steering a big ship. They're going to make mistakes and those mistakes are going to seep through and some accountants are going to get mad that their accountant, that their customers are being marketed to. That's just part of the process. You know, so, so I will tell you to just hold on before getting mad or reacting on, on this, hold on, get the facts, talk to the folks that are into it. They're very interested in hearing the feedback. So as a comment I want to make, I, I love working with, with Rich and I would like to bring him back to, to discuss this. I personally want to learn from them. I want to know what mistakes they're making as a, as a big company with a lot of resources, throwing a lot of money in this, in trying to serve the next generation of bookkeeping demand to know how I, me as a company can do this as well. Um, and, and, and Rhonda, who just wrote a book, and we'll, I'll let Andrew do the introductions. You just wrote a book called Pricing Value. This may be a perfect segue because now we effectively have a humongous company that is competing with us, quote unquote, right? You know, they said they're going to partner with us, but in many ways they're also competing with us. That's just the truth. Um, so how do we differentiate ourselves? How do we, how do we uh, create value somewhere else? How do we tell our clients or prove to our clients that it's still valuable to work with a small firm, with a small consultant, rather than going with the easy route with a big company. So that's my attempt to make a segue out of this. Andrew, mm -hmm. I'll let you do the introductions. Well, I think we're really lucky. Thank you for, for joining us, Rhonda Lynn. 
to have it. It's just uh, fortuitous that it happened to be when we had Rich on as well, because it is such a great segue. Um, and I agree with you wholeheartedly. You know, I've known Rich for a while now. In fact, my first interview I did with him was at a QB Connect, and he was talking about the matchmaking process. And he really does have a passion for trying to help accountants and to help small businesses. And, I, and like you said, is you know, they're a major or huge, you know, $5 billion startup that is, they have the right intent. They want to help small businesses. They want to help accountants. There's going to be mistakes along the way. If they weren't making mistakes, they wouldn't be moving forward. Um, so, you know, it's hard to say what the future will hold, but how I measure people is what their intent is. Um, and what their heart holds. And I know that Rich has a great heart and he really does, <laughs> excuse me, want to help the community, as does Rhonda Lynn. But Rhonda Lynn, I think, is going to give us a great sort of uh, devil's advocate uh, to this. And maybe you can share her thoughts on the whole pricing model here because that's her level of expertise. But you pointed out really clearly, like most of the people that I talk to in our community aren't really threatened by this because we learned a long time ago about this concept of value pricing and differentiating our services and we're not in the bitty, the business of basing our value based on transactions and this is a very transactional type of approach now Rhonda Lynn is going to give us her best uh, crocodile Dundee accent today because she's actually a Canadian but she's been living in Australia um, for a number of years now and she's extremely well respected around the world internationally um, so Rhonda, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and um, play the devil's advocate if you'd like. Rhonda, you're muted. Oh. <laughs> yeah. well, well, while she unmutes, I'd like to point something out, Andrew. One mm -hmm. little tidbit, I don't know if you caught it, but Rich said, we don't know this is going to be an unlimited service, so we don't know. I don't know if you caught that. That yes. is huge because that is the one thing that accounting professionals, service professionals, most of us don't do this unlimited service situation. Yeah, that's, a, we, that's a subscription model. That's something totally different than that. Correct. Just wanted to throw that in there because that <laughs> creates a huge differentiator between what you're doing. Sorry, Rhonda, I guess you're back on. Go ahead. Yeah, no worries. Well, look, we're not going to talk too much about the subscription model because we could literally spend hours just talking about that. I guess I wanna just approach this really more from a value perspective, because I think that's gonna be the easiest perspective for most bookkeepers and accountants to grasp quickly and put into practice. The subscription model requires a whole different level of thinking because of course, when you're selling a subscription, everything's included. So you're not selling a product or a service anymore. You're selling an annuity. You're selling a you know lifetime experiences with people. And that's a whole, you know, level of complexity above this whole value versus cost-based pricing. So how I would approach it is, I guess, I don't think it makes sense for anybody to get their undies in a knot about this. I really don't. So, you know, I think this is one of these things where we have to step back from it and think, you as a bookkeeper or an accountant should not be worrying about any of your competitors. Because the whole name of the game here is differentiation, right? So yes, if you are trying to sell a undifferentiated bookkeeping service and no one can tell the difference between your service and everybody else's, yep, you are in trouble. <laughs> but you shouldn't be doing that. You shouldn't be playing that game from the first place. I mean, even when I take a look at the pricing, even I see 
QuickBooks, which is a you know multi-billion dollar company, making simple, what I would call simple rookie mistakes with their pricing of what they've offered even here. So even you, as a small standalone bookkeeper, can learn the basics from what I'm about to teach you and talk with you about, and you can price your services um, more effectively than even QuickBooks is doing right now with their subscription model. You know, that, that's the long and the short of it. You know, I see them offering too many choices. I see them not using charm pricing. I see, you know, them not using decoy price, pricing properly. And I think all of these things are correctable and easily learned by every bookkeeper and every accountant. And it's just a matter of, you know, getting a grasp on these simple concepts and really learning how to differentiate yourself. You know, the biggest thing that I hear when I go out that disturbs me is people saying that they don't want to niche down. That's when I know, you know, we're in trouble because it's really, really tough to value price a compliance type service. In fact, I would argue it's almost impossible to do it because you've got to find some economic value in what you're doing that is above and beyond the cost of the time and materials that went into producing it. That's the whole essence of moving away from cost-based pricing to value is finding those, I like to call them deal breakers. That's the simple terminology, right? It's like, I give this analogy. If you were in the market and you were looking to buy some software and there were two software products and they pretty much, you know, looked the same. They had kind of the same types of features They were going to get the job done. Let's even say it was, you know, accounting software technology. What if somebody told you that one of those technologies is half the price of the other. So one's gone into the market at $5 a month and the other one's at $10 a month. And you're sitting back looking at it. In the absence of knowing anything else, the average Joe on the street is probably going to think about the cheaper model, right? Because they look the same. But if someone was to tell you, hey, um, just so you know, that cheaper $5 a month or whatever the cost of it is, it goes down twice as often as the other one which means you're not going to be able to get your work done. Maybe the bank feeds don't work. Maybe you can't, you know, get on and follow your tax returns using that software. Well, that's going, that's a deal breaker, right? For the average bookkeeper and accountant, if that were the case, it's a deal breaker. And it's the exact same with your service. You know, just because you're doing a tax return or payroll or bookkeeping for somebody doesn't mean that there aren't deal breakers. And it's about what questions do you use to uncover those deal breakers and make price a non-issue. So Rhonda, let, let me dial it back a little bit because you said so much that is so much to, so much to unpack. I guess we started at, at a 10. We ended at a 10 with Rich and then we just continued at 10. So um, <laughs> let's dial it back for a second. So you've been you've been studious of value pricing for a while now, right? And you have studied under Ron Baker and and Mark Wickersham and some of the folks that are, are well known in the community for this. And you just wrote a book. Has it been released already or will it be released? Yep, the pricing value version is um, released. So I can give you guys the um, Amazon links, the iTunes links, the right. website links. But there's also an abridged version. So there's a, a publisher out of New York that sells into all the universities and business schools in 26 countries. And that version will be live in late May as well. So there's two actual versions of the book. One's called Pricing Value. And the second one is called From Value Pricing to Pricing Value. 
So that's yeah. what I wanted. That's what I wanted to ask you. So the it's term value, important. the term value pricing has been used quite a bit. I would say for yes. at least twenty years, and 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 if you've been studying Ron Baker for a while, maybe even longer. But then you, wrote, your book, you titled it on purpose to pricing value because you want to make a differentiation yeah. between, I guess, the fundamental value pricing concepts and I guess the action oriented concepts that you're talking about, which is specifically focusing on the value so you can price it. Can, can you kind of just separate the two terms, value pricing yeah. and pricing value from your perspective? So the reason I chose that specifically, because it was a very deliberate choice on my part. When you say value pricing, what's going to happen from a deeply subconscious perspective is people who hear that phrase are going to tend to favor and put more emphasis on the word pricing. And we see that every day. You take a look on the internet, you listen to what people are saying, read the articles. Everyone's talking about how do you get the price you deserve? How do you get your customers to pay you more? You know, should I be using three packages or can I just get away with one? Those are all pricing questions. That's the wrong question. If you hear somebody saying that to you, I know automatically they don't understand value pricing. The number one most important word in the phrase is value. And so I have dragged value from the front of that phrase to the, to the end because I want to put the emphasis on the word value. I want people to start asking questions about value because I believe until you get to the heart of value and earn the right to create and capture more value for your clients, you actually don't have any business putting your prices up. And in fact, if you do, you will fail. Simple so as what that. You, so what you're so saying is value. create a value and pricing will follow, right? Yes, create can... the value first. Yeah. Then capture and communicate that value and then price it. So not obsess over how much should I price? How should I price? Am I worth more? I should be worth more. That's what most people kind of assume is what value pricing is. And you're saying the opposite. Yeah, that's a terrible question. It isn't about what you're worth. It's about what the solution is worth to the customer. You know, yes, I understand that we, you know, probably as accountants and bookkeepers, we do not value ourselves enough. And that is a stumbling block. You know, that's why in the book, I spend quite a whole chapter talking about controlling your own fear. You know, you have to conquer your own stinking thinking to get into the game here. However, the real value is about what does the client value? And we have to get out of our own way and figure out how do we get them to tell us what this stuff is worth to them. And once we know that, then we can step back and we can start to think about what packages we might put together and how we do that. Because to be honest with you, 95% of pricing is highly subjective. It's intangible. It has nothing to do with the price. You know, I could manipulate someone if I wanted to in a pricing discussion just by making sure that when I delivered my pricing, I did it in front with a whole bunch of books behind me and I made it look like, you know, I was in the Oval Office. You know, they have proven that when they've done um, ad campaigns for presidents, presidents who were, um, if people saw ad campaigns of presidents that were in the Oval Office already or had all these books, they had a, they had a different level of perceived expertise of that person than if they photographed him on the steps out front of just a plain old building, right? So, so much of this 
actually has nothing to do with the number. Pricing isn't a number. This is the deceptive part is, guess what? When we think of pricing, because we're accountants, we think, woohoo, it's a number. I can manage that. I'm an expert at numbers. Well, actually too bad because pricing is mostly subjective. It's perception. It's psychology. It's neuroscience. So my book is a little bit different than some of the others because I'm, I think I'm the first that has brought more neuroscience to bear. So, you know, there's quite a bit of neuroscientific studies. There's quite a bit of behavioral psychology and a lot of systems in the book. And so I've approached it from a slightly different perspective because I'm really focused on how to, right? You know, mm -hmm. there's nobody that writes a better book on all of the economic analysis and all of the um, subjective theory of value, all of that stuff, nobody does it better than Ron Baker. And, but the problem is, is it's so complex that I think people, there's a disconnect between what people have read and what they are able to interpret and imp implement. And so I'm all about implementation. So my whole book is about teaching you through storytelling and case studies, how to actually do this stuff with your clients and put it into practice. Because in the absence of that, in the absence of doing, it's of no value to you. It's so, just theory. So Rhonda, can we, let's see if we can tie it into the, the, the beginning concept here. So let's say, for example, I have a potential client that I go visit and we, we have a conversation and we talk about the service that they need. And, and we determine that the service, we, we give them a price or three options, whatever it is. I say we give them a dollar value. And then they come back and say, you know, Intuit is doing it for $400 a month. You know, how, how is that different? Like, can you give me some, some how to, like some just real techniques and on, on, on how, do, how do we break that down and, 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 and talk about how we can add more value than a big company or another competitor can? Well, first and foremost, you can always add more value than Intuit. You just have to understand that and believe it because that's the truth, right? They're, all, they're offering um, a cookie cutter solution not a differentiated solution. So that's job number one. Job number two, what you're talking about is really just a price objection. It's just a simple price objection. So regardless of whether the objection is Andrew can do it cheaper or Intuit can do it cheaper, we're just talking about prices. So whenever someone gives you a price objection, two things. Number one, wherever possible, you actually want to get that objection before you've delivered your price. So the number one task when you're doing value pricing, when you're using my model, is I will wanting to talk to you about the questions you need to ask your clients to draw out this potential price objection so that you can take it into account when you're setting your price and you want to get it before you set your price. Because if you get a price objection after you've given someone the price, it changes the momentum of the sale, right? So an objection is never bad because no is bad. Like no is, well, no. If someone gives you an objection, that to me means that they're willing to say yes, but there's some impediment that you forgot to draw out and bring forward before you set your price. So they wanna say yes, but you haven't made it easy for them. So how I would do it is I would step back. Um, what it says to me, if somebody is comparing prices, that's the thinking part of the brain, that's up in the cerebral cortex. That part of the brain, it, thinking fatigues the brain. So if you want someone to decide quickly, you don't want them to think. You want to try to get this gut instinct going at the lower base levels of the brain as fast as you can. And you want to do that through pictures and storytelling. 
So if someone starts to think it's going to slow down the sales process and it says to me that you've used too many words, too many numbers, you haven't shown them clearly. Here's your, here's your business before Hector and here's your business with Hector, right? So that's one way you can combat it. You need to make a more clear before and after picture because that is more appealing to the brain. That could be one thing. The second thing that you could have possibly done, and it's also based on neuroscience as well, is you haven't clearly demonstrated clearly so they can physically see it, not read it, not hear it, never say something when you can show it, right? They have to see the economic value. And if you can go back and show them, what does it cost them to not take action to fix the problem, then you've got the sale, right? Because let's say that your option is $400 a month and we can see that QuickBooks is offering at $200 a month. Well, if you've done your job, Hector, and you've actually proven to them that they actually lose $1,600 a month by not having a cure or an answer to this pain point or this transformation, well, then 400 bucks sounds like a bargain, doesn't it, right? And $200 isn't going to solve it because the people who are charging $200 haven't even spent five seconds figuring out what this guy's pain points or desired transformations are. So it's all about the process, really. Like, I think, you know, take your time, slow down, ask better questions, quantify the cost of doing nothing, choosing you, and choosing your competitor. And if you do that well, you will never get another price objection that you cannot handle, ever. The cost of doing nothing is your friend. Well, I mean, I've never heard. I was going to say, oh, sorry, Andrew, you, you want to jump no, in? I was, I was just going to say, into it was, I mean, uh, Rich was saying that 40% of QuickBooks customers said that they're not intending to work with an accountant. I mean, because all 40% of them don't understand the cost of doing nothing. I, I assume that's what you're saying, right? So, so if, if that's true, then what all of us should be doing, what the entire profession should be doing, it's not marketing on how much value we can add and all that stuff. We need to market about how much value the customer is leaving on the table by not hiring an accounting partner to help them grow their business, which is where we have failed at. Right? We haven't. Yeah, we need to price the value. <laughs> right. But we haven't been that. We haven't been that good at storytelling or or visual, giving the customer a visual of 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 the what the before and after. What what it looks like for you to struggle with the numbers on your own versus to have a financial accounting partner to guide you along the way. We only do that with our one individual customer that comes in front of our desk. We, we can try to sell them the world, but we haven't educated the other side, that 40%. Yeah, don't try to sell people anything. Stop, we need to stop selling. And this is the best part, right? Because accountants hate selling. We equate it with ickiness, right? That it's like, oh, I'm going to feel like a used car salesman or that, you know, it's somehow taking away from who I am, my, my integrity. Stop selling. Start your job to sell. It's your job to show them the cost of doing nothing and to help them for themselves step into the solution. That's all you're doing. I mean, I always think of it this way. If you were standing on the street and someone came up to you and they were bleeding profusely, Let's just say that you had a little bit of medical training. Maybe you're a nurse or, you know, you've got a little bit of medical training. It would never enter your mind to look at that person and say, oh, you know, I can't help them 
because they they might think I'm trying to sell my medical training. <laughs> you know, nobody would think that. You would lay the person down, you put them in the recovery position, you would try to put a tourniquet on whatever part of their limb was bleeding and you would call the ambulance, right? You wouldn't think about all that stuff. Well, guess what, folks? Your clients right now are bleeding profusely because they've got cash flow problems, they've got all kinds of productivity issues, effectiveness, all of these issues in their business. The bookkeeping in the it's just the, gets your foot in the door. This tax return, this bookkeeping, this payroll, that's not the end game. You can't even value price that stuff because it's just, you know, it's just stuff. We've got to dig deeper. We've got to get under the hood and see what's going on with these people. And that's what that's why I created this whole thing is I want people to stop thinking of their job as compliance plus advisory. That is bad. That's a bad way of thinking because those two things should always have been integrated. They, sh they should have never been separated in the first place. A lot of the separation stems back to, I don't know if anybody on the call has been old enough to remember that in the 80s, this happened when the desktop software appeared. We, people used to take all their stuff to their accountant. And as soon as the desktop appeared, then they wanted to have that desktop and they wanted to have their own software. And we started getting relegated to doing a lot of the cleanup and compliance stuff. That was the last major disruption that happened to our industry. This time, we can be more intelligent about how we're going to control how it's going to go down for our profession. And the only way to do that, I believe, is to price the value. You know, I don't think value pricing is going to get us there. I think we need to start pricing the value. And showing the value, as you said earlier. Now, don't, that, say, don't say it if you can show it. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. Now, this brings up, I've got a bit of a question for you, you know, sort of from some of the past calls we've had discussions about the idea of giving away your time, you know, offering free consultations. What's your take on accountants giving away their time? Should they be billing for every minute they ever spend with someone? Should they be giving away time to demonstrate and to show that value? What's your take on that? Well, first of all, your time ain't worth anything. <laughs> right? You know, it's how long is a piece of string? Your time is worth not a whole heck of a lot. It's about the value. So if you're doing an upfront diagnostic for somebody, that is highly valuable and that should be bundled in. I don't. I think too many accountants and bookkeepers are giving away stuff for free. I see. I see and hear people telling me every day, "Oh, I did this and then I discounted it because I didn't think the client would pay." Well, hello. Why are you doing the job? Why are you doing all this work if you don't think the client would pay? That is your job upfront to ascertain the value before you undertake stuff. You don't waste eight hours of your day and then say, oh, I'm only going to bill for four of it because, you know, it's my time. It, it doesn't work. That's that's old thinking, right? That's bad thinking. We've got to move into this new way. And, and I used a bad term, give away your time. But I think yeah. <laughs> giving away some value, um, I actually believe that you should, that you, it's always good to give away some value up front um, because of that that whole theory of reciprocation, the fact that if you give something before you ask for something, the likelihood of getting them to commit to a bigger value, a bigger pack, package is far greater. And I guess that's sort of what I really mean is, and, and I'm, you know, I've grown up believing that, um, you know, give, give before you receive. 
And, and, I, and I've seen in so many different ways how that really can be effective, as long as you don't use it as a, well, I'm only giving you this in order to get something back. But if you're just- And be clear about what you're giving, because you're yeah. not actually giving them your time. You're giving them the opportunity to discover the true intensity of the pain. Yeah. That's invaluable. Right. This is an opportunity for them. Like sometimes, you know, it's not uncommon for me when I'm doing these discovery talks, 70% of the time to have my audience in tears. Right. We have to ask more difficult and tougher questions. We need to get people into their pain and into where things are a bit nasty and uncomfortable because there is huge value there. Sometimes we're going to ask our clients questions that they have never even considered. They, they have never disclosed this information to anyone. That's where the value is. Does your book touch on how to construct and build those questions? Because yeah, you know, I, I, mean, I talk with about us. the nature of it. Yeah, I talk about the nature and some sample questions. Plus, I'm doing a massive course out the back of it as well. A training, a do-it-yourself workbook where you get it from me and I literally give you from go to woe every single template and question that I recommend. Right. Because my stuff, so I've been doing this for a long time because my next, my book that I wrote before this was Sales Seduction. So I actually haven't written a book since I had my daughter because you know what it's like when you have kids, it's hard to, to do these projects, right? But I started this in 2013 with Sales Seduction where I was going through this you know, understanding of what would the questions be? And my questions are very, very different than Ron's. So even though I studied heaps from, you know, Ed and Ron and everyone, my questions are much more open-ended than theirs. And I think that, you know, when you start to see the way that I do it, um, I ask a lot of questions where I actually don't know where we're going. I'm looking for personal pain, strategic pain, not just the financial stuff. I'm interested in the holistic person and the business. Rondalyn, let me ask you a question that I, I kind of think that was what Andrew was trying to ask is my phone rings and my target client calls. Well, but by target client means I have my niche. They were referred yeah. to me by a, another A client. They called and they, they start telling me about, because they do that sometimes when it's a good referral, they start saying, I overpay my taxes. My books are a mess. Uh, I, I never know if my payroll is being done right. I don't know if I got the right corporate structure. And they start asking enough questions that we say, look, it sounds like we need to sit down for a couple hours, just take a look at everything, have a deep discussion, and kind of talk about what if we're the right fit and what we can do for you. The question is, do we charge for that call? Do we charge for that appointment? I guess that's what Andrew was trying to ask, or at least what I perceived, what he was trying yeah. to ask. <laughs> yeah, but I don't think that if you charge or you don't charge, I don't think that it matters. So there's no, there's no rule. Like it, 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 the answer could be yes or it could be no. So can you yeah. tell me a circumstance in which I should give it for free and maybe some pros and cons and some circumstances where I should charge and some pros and cons? Because that's, that's, that's a big issue for us, especially the ones that are just learning value pricing where they're telling us, slow down, slow down. It's like, dude, I only got eight hours a day. If I slow down with every freaking person that calls me, I'll be all day <laughs> talking to people, you know? Um, and I won't qualify. be able to yeah, qualify your lead, right? Right. So can you give us some ideas like, for that? 
Yeah, qualify your leads. So if you know this person came as a referral from somebody that you know, you know that they're your ideal client, that they're perfect for you, they're right in your niche. If you've got all of those things, then you can probably presuppose that if you're going to spend an hour or two with this person, that's going to result in a, a legitimate engagement that you want and that's going to be beneficial to them. But if people, if you're not qualifying your leads and people are just coming to you, so I, I do a 15 minute pre-qualifying call. When people call me, I give them 15 minutes of pre-qualifying questions to figure that out. Cause I don't want to waste two hours. I don't have two hours of time. I've got a five-year-old, right? So I'm a parent. You guys both have kids. You know what it's like. You don't have two hours to waste. So I pre-qualify them and then I give them the discovery call or whatever you want to talk about. That's a longer version of that, but don't waste two hours on somebody that you don't know. And, and Rhonda, I know I heard you in a podcast say that you studied not psychology or say, but like sort of human behavior as part of your preparation for this. So you know a lot more psychology than I do. Um, do you think that giving away a free call or free discovery call lowers the value of it because you didn't put a price tag next to it? I mean, is there some anchoring effect that you can have to a unpaid discovery call? Well, yes and no. So whenever I'm doing these discovery calls, I do let people know what my hourly rate would be for just a one-off. Like if someone just called me with a one-off question, I've got an idea of what my hourly rate for that call or that event would be. And I always anchor it with that. I always so let them know that if I'm doing a discovery, if I'm just doing a one-off, I'm $700 an hour. Boom. So you you, you anchor it because you would otherwise charge it or you anchor it because you would never charge an hourly rate that you have it there as a reference point? No, I sometimes charge it. <laughs> so okay. so, so you're, me, not a, you're not a value pricing purist like some folks that say never give an hourly rate and that sort of thing. I, I'm actually well, with you. I'm with, just so you know, I, I'm an arduous fan of Ron Baker. Like I've, I'm traveling to Chicago tomorrow. See him, literally, like, I'm a big fan. Yeah, yeah. I'm a big fan. I try to follow as much of the stuff that he does. I think he's the smartest person I know. But, you know, he, he's been at me many times. He's saying, why are you even talking about time in reference to pricing? There's something fundamentally wrong with that. And I personally think that in a very basic level, most people understand the value of their time. And because people know the value of their time, not my time, the, the, the unit of measure of time is a simple way of at least anchoring the, the value pricing engagement. So if I tell someone, look, if we are not engaged, we don't know each other and I have an hour for you and you, you want to pick my brain for an hour, I would allow you to do this for this price. So I do use the one hour one-off pricing as, a, as an anchor. So then when I package price something, it doesn't matter what the hour, what the amount of hours is. When people say, if I were to pay this by the hour, it would be 10,000. And, and, and the price that he's given me, it's a much lower than that. And almost all my competitors charge by the hour. So I just, again, I, I, I don't charge by the hour. I want to get that out there because I'm a value pricing guy. I'm a value pricing person, but I'm not a purist where I would say it's complete heresy to ever use it as a, as a concept. So it looks like you're, we're in the same boat there. 
Um, yes and no. So I would tie the price to the event, not the time it takes me to do the event. So I may not refer to it as a per hourly price. I might say it's, you know, $700 or $1,000 for the diagnostic. But right. to be fair, I don't actually know how long it will take. So going into some of these things, we don't know. You know, sometimes you can get in and out and get information from people really quickly. And sometimes it's like pulling teeth, right? So we don't actually know how long it's going to take. And I'm, I'm definitely against any time sheeting or any of that stuff, because the biggest problem with hanging on to time and cost-based accounting, for those of you that have read any of Reginald's books, is that it, it basically makes it almost impossible for you to do value pricing properly. Because you're too constrained. I mean, I talk about this a lot in the book, and it's really important. I don't care what the profitability of your firm is, right? Just because you did 15% net profit margin last year, and this year you've done 20%, your firm still ain't worth anything, right? If you can't, if you don't have pricing power, and if you don't capture a large percentage of the value you create for your clients, your firm is worth nothing. So this whole concept of how do you capture more value is integral and you don't need timesheets for that. And all the cost accounting in the world isn't going to help you get to that. It's all about BCR, your business cash requirements, your cash flow. And so, you know, I come into this whole thing um, as a cash flow expert. That's how I, you know, I only kind of happened into all this advisory stuff and value pricing as a result of me being a cash flow expert. So I'm very much about how do we model cash flow and figure out um, what the true cost of stuff is, not the non-cash cost, the real cash. And you know, hanging on to timesheets and cost accounting and all of that stuff is it's a it's a slippery slope, right? Because you we've got a I believe, and I spend quite a bit of time about this in the book, we have to unlearn all the bad habits that got us to where we are right now. And sometimes we're not even aware of how bad they are, right? Because we don't understand how much they've permeated our firms and our culture and the way that we speak to each other, the way that we remunerate ourselves is all tied to this cost-based pricing methodology. It's, it's crazy. Right. We're and unaware depth of it and, and that number one habit that we're that, that we need to sort of unlearn is measuring everything in terms of fractions of the hour or measuring time to to figure out costs because that's one of the big issues even rich priest said it you know we don't know how many hours this is going to take therefore we need to have a financial model that that averages the number of hours per customer so then we can break that down mm -hmm. by the hour and know how much to pay our advisors. I mean, he didn't say it in so many words, but no, it was but what that says to me is rich doesn't understand the subscription model, but that's a whole other, but, you but know, the, the you test, we'll yeah. come in and we'll, we'll well, we'll I, I would, I would hang on a second. I would argue that Intuit knows a subscription model more than everybody in this, in but this they wouldn't room. be asking the cost question, right? They wouldn't right. be asking that it's, question the way that he phrased one, it. One person in the cog is one person yeah. in the cog. Intuit knows a subscription model very well. They, they, <laughs> they, they pulled it off with desktop. They moved a significant amount of customers to QuickBooks Online. Quick, QuickBooks knows this very well. I think what you're trying to say is when it comes to services, maybe they don't know it that well because that's, yeah. that's a whole different, like a software subscription a and a service. Right. Yeah. yeah. 
So we're over, we're over the hour. So Andrew, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll have you ask maybe the last couple, you can ask the last couple of questions and, um, and, and, and take over the wrapping it up, I think. And Rhonda, by the way, we can, I can go for hours about this, <laughs> Yeah, but uh, Me we're, too. <laughs> <laughs> I could tell, but we, we have to put a hard stop because we are supposed to stop at an yeah. hour. So Andrew, yeah. and, uh, take it home. So first of all, I, I think Rhonda, we'd love to have you back another time. Um, and I, and I appreciate you, um, um, hanging around as uh, we had our, our first kickoff with with Rich. Um, you know, my ears are burning. There's so much uh, great value that you've shared with us today. Um, so, so many insights and so many things that I think um, will be useful to myself as well as members of this community. I know people were saying in the chat earlier, they really want you to share the links. So if you can throw the links in the um, in the chat afterwards or because um, everyone wants to know where, where they can get these books. I want to get them. Are, are the books available on, on as audiobooks as well? I haven't done an audio yet, but I might record the longer version, uh, the Australian version, if you want to call that. <laughs> so I'd, I'd love to, because I'm an audiobook guy, which I know I can't put on a wall behind me and do a great office video with my audiobooks behind me, but uh, I'm an audiobook guy, so I, I, I got to get your book on audiobook. I might might be one of the ones I physically read, which is is a stretch for me. Um, but I guess one of the things that, that I think you touched on really briefly, which is the, the one question I'd love to close on, um, is you talked about remuneration um, and, and remuneration. And I know that Bob Wang, who's been a guest on our show before, uh, came up with some really interesting remuneration strategies um, for employees. So for those organizations that have grown to being beyond just a one-man shop and are bringing on other team members, does your book address how to remunerate people in this age of pricing value? Well, it, it addresses how to train them, right? So we talk a little bit, uh, touches on remuneration. I'll go deeper in the workbook when I get into that, but I talk about training them because as a part of training them, you also have to set KPIs for the firm, right? So it doesn't do you any good to set KPIs because people will automatically do whatever you're measuring. And so you yeah, can get some really it. terrible results, right? Like you can get bad mm -hmm. results if you pick the wrong KPIs. So it's about figuring out, okay, what are our KPIs going to be? What, what does the customer care about? And then how can we relate that to what the people are doing? And how do we train them to be effective? Because right now we've trained everybody to work as fast as they can and to think about efficiency instead of effectiveness. And so if we're going to now measure them on effectiveness, then we actually have to retrain them to know how to be effective and what is effective and, you know, retraining their behavior. So we have to actually start remunerating them on those metrics. And that is really tricky because that's the antithesis of what we're doing right now. We have to figure out what does the client care about and how can we remunerate them to do that behavior? And, you know, that's a whole new kettle of fish. And it's going to require significant retraining for the, any, any person who is client facing must be retrained and must be incentivized to meet goals that the client cares about. Not an easy task. No, it isn't. It, but, you know, it starts with us, right? We do it yeah. first and we learn and we get our heads around it. And don't, you know, it's so funny because even though we think we've mastered it, 
even we'll see ourselves falling into situations where we might say something silly or it's a slight slip of the tongue and we say a word that isn't quite right and we realize how deeply embedded this stuff is. You know, I was talking with somebody just the other day here and she's pretty savvy when it comes to value pricing. She's read a lot of Ron's books and she was pricing a new product that she's bringing to the market. And I could hear in her own words that she was starting to say things about, well, if you do it once, then you only have to do this thing one time. So we should be able to discount it. And I was like, no, 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 you're, you're missing the point because sometimes when we're re when we're pricing ourselves, when we're remunerating ourselves, all that bad stinking thinking comes up and we start making mistakes and we start realizing how deep this is subconsciously we are embedded to this cost pricing methodology right right yeah i know i certainly don't have it all figured out i'm not nearly as well read as either of you um and and as well versed in it. it's still something i'm i'm trying to figure out and going through our evolutions uh and i think that's you know for for a lot of us it is really overwhelming like we get that we have to change it's hard to it's hard to figure out those steps and i know for myself um when I went through and started to make some of those changes, I made mistakes along the way. And, uh, and you have to be, I guess, willing to try and try those new things and make those mistakes. And I'm still making those mistakes as we go. We get better every day, but you know, it's, it's, uh, but at least you you're making the mistakes. Yeah. Right? Well, I, Some people haven't even started. Yeah. I think a lot of people are afraid to make mistakes. You know, it's, uh, it's something that, uh, thankfully I've made so many mistakes that I'm pretty comfortable being a fool now. Well, here's the thing. What scares you more, making a few mistakes or going bankrupt because AI <laughs> steals all your work, you know, which is this, which is the lesser of two evils, right? I always put fear into perspective. Which are you really afraid of? Basically, the good, bad and the ugly is a Australian report that comes out every year. And every year they're saying the same thing. Accountants are doing more value for less or the same amount of money every year. And this is happening year on year on year. That's scary. Mm -hmm. I think it happens, it happens so gradually that people don't notice, I think. Yeah, um, it's like the frog in the boiling pot, right? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. I, I, I've, always, I've always said, and I'm not always, but I would say the last seven years or so that I've been trying to understand value, really. I think that when people have short-term success, they're at least likely to change. So in other words, if their business model is working because they're paying their bills while they charge by the hour, anything else looks like a threat, you know, whereas they don't understand that their current business model is the threat. There are their own threat. I mean, the, yeah. the, the, you, the are the danger, you are the danger. You are the danger. <laughs> That's right. So, so the, the hardest, so one thing that I found, which is really interesting, Rhonda, I'm sure you've noticed this, the ones that are not making that much money, the ones that are struggling are the ones that adopt value pricing like this. And the successful firms, the old school firms, they, they just don't because they are seeing some success and, and, and there are so many measures of success, but they're seeing, uh, they're in the black, right? They're, they're, they're seeing profit, they're paying their bills in charging by the hour or using the, you know, the hourly method. That is very difficult for them to see this as something that's gonna be better, right? So that's one thing I found very interesting is it's much easier to get a struggling bookkeeping to adopt value pricing and then a successful one. I don't know if you think otherwise or if you've seen otherwise, but. 
Look, I think there's the two aspects of it are this. It's how many times do they get asked for a dis discount, right? It's about the price objections, right? So if someone's getting a hell of a lot of price objections, there's pain there. And that's where we need to get to, to get leverage on people and to get them to change. And the second part of it is just, you know, are they comfortable with the fact that they're constantly being squeezed? Because it doesn't matter how successful they are. There isn't a single accounting firm on the planet that is using cost-based pricing methodologies that isn't seeing the squeeze. It's just the squeeze is a different fraction or a different percentage or you know, a different magnitude for every business that's out there. They're all feeling it. It's just that they're choosing to be comfortable. But for me, I hate it when you know people would ask about price discounts and stuff. It drives me wild. That's, that was massive pain for me. Maybe some people don't care. But I think that's the point, you know, to me, your pricing is the fulcrum. So the biggest challenge that I see is this. Everyone in our industry wants to talk about all these apps and technology, and they want to talk about social media and marketing. Your pricing is the fulcrum. That's the point at which you apply pressure to gain maximum leverage in your firm, because pricing influences how you show up in the engagement. And how you show up means everything. I don't care about your social media market. I don't care what apps you use. I don't care about any of it. Because if you don't show up correctly from the beginning, you're done. I think how we ended there. <laughs> <Yep>. yeah. <laughs> We're done. <laughs> <laughs> We're done. Drop the mic. Let's go. Yeah. Mic drop. I just mouse drop. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Rhonda Lynn. I like to point out, Rhonda Lynn, you're in uh, Australia, right? Yes, Melbourne. Isn't isn't this an amazing world that we live in? You know, like I, uh, Andrew is one of my you know best friends. Is is he lives in Canada? You know, you're in Australia. You know, uh, Rich was in San Francisco. <laughs> jumped in and jumped out of this meeting, talking in real time. I mean, this is I, I know it. Every time we end these calls and we have someone from the UK or, well, I don't think we've had someone from the UK. I mean, some from Australia. I'm just amazed that, that, that we have the capacity to do this. And I think sometimes it's good to like reflect on just how amazing it is to be able to do this. Um, we're going to get, we're going to get someone from the UK to stay up late night with us. We're going to make that happen. That's right. That's right. Or one of us can fly to the UK. And we'll just right. dial in again. <laughs> That will happen okay, well, next. thanks again for joining us. We really no, do appreciate pleasure. you having. If you do read the book, I'd look forward to hearing your um, feedback and your insights from it because that's how I learn too. We will. I'd make sure to post that link in the chat so everyone has it. Make sure, okay, you, awesome. make sure to send one signed. Okay, that, yeah. that, that, that might encourage it. <laughs> yeah, that's the one thing about night. audio and Kindle. You can't sign them. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Okay, good night, everybody. Take care. Thanks for having me.